0: Chapter Twelve of Nothing but the Truth by Frederick Isham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve. Just one thing after another. It was far from a pleasant meeting. Dicky looked about as amiable as a wind or thunder demon in front of a Japanese temple. That oscillary performance beneath the kissing oak, as the noble tree was called, had been almost too much for Dicky. He seemed to have trouble in articulating. "'You're a nice one, aren't you?' he managed at length to say, and his tones were like the sputter of a defective motor. "'You ought to be given a leather medal!' "'Could I help it?' said Bob wearily, and then, because he was too much of a gentleman to vouchsafe information incriminating a lady. "'Usual place, customary thing, blame it on the oak, (laughs) ha-ha!' That wasn't evading the truth, it was simply facetiousness. Might as well meet this trio of dodging brigands with a smiling face. Dickie's vocal motor failed to explode, even spasmodically. That reply seemed to have extinguished him. But the Commodore awoke to vivacity. "'Let us try to meet this situation calmly,' he said, red as a turkey-cock. "'But let us walk as we talk,' taking Bob's arm and leading that young man unresistingly down a path to the driveway to the village." I shouldn't by any chance want to encounter Mrs. Dan just yet," he explained. So, if you don't mind, we'll get away from here while I explain. Bob didn't mind. He saw no guile in the Commodore's manner or words. Nor did he observe how Clarence looked at Dickie. The twilight shadows were beginning to fall. Briefly," went on the Commodore, as he steered them out of the woods, ,"our worst fears have been realized. "'Negotiations with G. G. are in progress. Divorce papers will probably follow. Clarence on the other side of Dicky, made a sound. All this is your work.' The Commodore seemed about to become savage, but he restrained himself. "'No use speaking about that. Also, it is too late for us to call the wager off and pay up. Mischief's done now.' "'Why not make a clean breast of everything?' suggested Bob. "'Say it was a wager and—' "'A truth-telling stunt?' THAT WOULD HELP A LOT, CONTEMPTUOUSLY. DICKY MUTTERED, BONEHEAD. I MEAN, YOU CAN SAY THERE WASN'T ANY HARM, SAID BOB DESPERATELY, THAT IT WAS ALL OPEN AND INNOCENT. MUCH GOOD MY SAYING THAT WOULD DO, SNORTED DAN. YOU DON'T KNOW MRS. DAN, OR MRS. CLARENCE, SAID CLARENCE WEAKLY. BOB HUNG HIS HEAD. WE'VE THOUGHT OF ONE LITTLE EXPEDIENT THAT MAY HELP, OBSERVED DAN, STILL SPEAKING WITH DIFFICULTY. While such influences as we could summon are at work on the New York end, we've got to square matters here. We've got to account for your your here. the Commodore nearly choked—extraordinary revelations. But how, said Bob patiently, can you account for them? I suppose you mean to make me out a liar? Exactly, said the Commodore coolly. I don't mind, returned Bob wearily, as long as it will help you out and I'm not one. Only I can't say those things aren't true. You don't have to, said Dan succinctly. There's an easier way than that. No one would believe you anyway, now. That's true, gloomily. All we need, went on Dan, brightening a bit, is your cooperation. What can I do? You don't do anything. We do what is to be done. You just come along. We take you into custody, interposed Clarence. Lock you up exploded Dicky once more. And a good job! Lock me up? Bob gazed at them, bewildered. Had the temperamental little thing peached, after all? Impossible! And yet, if she hadn't, how could Dan and Dicky and Clarence know he was a burglar, or rather, that a combination of unlucky circumstances made him seem one? Perhaps that kiss was a signal for them to step forward and take him. History was full of such kisses— and yet he would have sworn she was not that kind you're to come along without making a fuss said the commodore significantly but i don't want to come along this is going too far remonstrated bob i've a decided objection to being locked up as a burglar burglar exclaimed dan don't know how you found out appearances may be against me but stopping on the road if you want me to go along you've got to make me the trio looked at one another "'Maybe he really is,' suggested Dickie, touching his forehead. "'Too much truth,' said Clarence, with a sneer. "'Feel half that way myself.' "'It would be all the better for us if it were really so,' observed Dan. "'And to Bob, you think that we think you're a burglar? Don't you? Didn't you say something about locking me up?' "'But not in jail.' Bob stared. "'What then? A sanatorium.' "'Sanatorium?' "'For the insane.' you mean you're crazy said dan that's the ticket dicky found out up at mrs ralston's oh dicky did said bob looking at that young gentleman with lowering brows you bet i did returned dicky i put in a good day viciously while you were fishing yes corroborated the commodore dicky found a dozen people who think you're dotty on the crumpet all right bob folded his arms still regarding dicky "'You know what I've a mind to do to you?' "'Hold on,' said Dan hastily. "'This matter's got to be handled tactfully. "'We can't any one of us give way to our personal feelings, "'however much we may want to. "'Let's be businesslike, eh, Clarence? "'Businesslike!' "'Sure,' said Clarence, faintly. "'But Dicky, standing behind the Commodore and Clarence, "'said something about tact being a waste of time in some cases. "'He said it in such a sneering, nasty way that Bob breathed deep.' I've simply got to spank that little rooster, he muttered. But again the Commodore smoothed things over. Shut up, Dicky," he said angrily. You'll spoil all. I'm sure Bob wants to help us out, if he can. He knows it's really up to him to do so. Bob's a good sport. It was an awful effort for the Commodore to appear nice and amiable, but he managed to for the moment. You will help us out, won't you? he added, placing velvety fingers on Bob's arm. But Bob, with a vigorous swing, shook off those fingers. He didn't intend to be taken into custody. Dan and the others might as well understand that first as last. The commodore's voice grew more appealing. Don't you see, your being crazy will account for everything. Oh, will it? In a still small voice, Miss Gwendolen asked me if you showed signs before coming down here. Piped up Ticky, and again Bob breathed deep. Then his thoughts floated away. Dicky was too insignificant to bother with. Hallucinations, observed the Commodore briskly, fits you to a T. Bob didn't answer. He was trying to think if she, Miss Gwendolyn, hadn't said something about hallucinations. You simply imagined all those things you confided to Mrs. Dan. You didn't mean to tell what wasn't so, but you couldn't help yourself. You really believed it all at the time. You are irresponsible. Maybe you'll tell me next there isn't any Gigi said Bob. ''Also, that Miss Giddup is but an empty coinage of the brain?'' ''No, we'll do better than that. The existence of a Gee accounts in part for your condition. First stage, Gee on the brain, then brainstorm. storm Gee is part of your obsession!'' ''You talk, think and dream of Gee, interposed Clarence. ''We've got it all doped out. You are madly jealous. You imagine every man is in love with her. You even attribute to Dan here ulterior motives. I mentioned to Miss Gerald, privately, that a certain very fascinating but nameless young showgirl might be your trouble," said Dickie. And Bob did a few deep breathing exercises, and again he managed to conquer himself. "'Don't you see we've simply got to lock you up?' said the Commodore. "'You're a menace to the community. You're a happy homebreaker. You may do something desperate.' "'I might,' said Bob, looking the Commodore in the eye. Dan overlooked any covert meaning. We take your case in time, he went on. You go into an institution, stay a week, or two, or, shall we say, three, insinuatingly, and you come out cured. Wouldn't that be nice, said Bob. They were going to put truth in a crazy house. That's what it amounted to. But how about get up? Did I have an obsession about her, too? Oh, as Gigi's chum, she is part of the brainstorm and that drags poor old Clarence in. "'Clarence, who is as ignorant of the existence of get-up as I am of Gee. "'And that's the truth,' said Clarence stoutly. Bob laughed. He couldn't help it. Perhaps many of the people in jails and crazy houses were only poor misguided mortals who had gone wrong looking for truth. Maybe some of them had met with that other kind of truth—Dan's kind and Clarence's kind—and they hadn't the proper vision to see it was the truth—that is, the world's truth. Got it fixed all right.' went on the commodore. Doc up there at the house has written a letter to the head of an eminently respectable institution for eminently respectable private patients. It's not far away, and the head is a friend of Doc's. Dicky saw to the details. It's a good place. Kind, gentle attendance, nourishing food. Isn't that what the doc said, Dicky? I guess the food won't hurt him, said Dicky, regarding Bob. Maybe. Dicky wouldn't have minded if Bob had had an attack or two of indigestion. "'Doc says they're especially humane to the violent,' continued the Commodore, unmindful of Bob's ominous silence. It seemed as if Dan was talking to gain time, for he looked around where the bushes cast dark shadows, as if to locate some spot. "'None of that slugging or straitjacket business.' Doc talked it over with the judge and some of the others— Judge said he'd committed a lot of people who hadn't acted half as crazy as you have. You see, Dicky had to take him into his confidence a little bit, and the doc too. Doc diagnosed your breakdown as caused by drugs and alcohol. So you made me out a dipsomaniac? observed Bob. What else was there to do? Didn't you bring it on yourself? Dan now stopped, not far from a clump of bushes. Down the road stood a stalled motor car, vaguely distinguishable in the dusk. Its occupant, or occupants, had apparently gone to telephone for help. "'You bet I made you out a Dippy,' said Dicky with much satisfaction. A white light shone from Bob's eyes. Then he shrugged his broad shoulders. "'Good night,' he said curtly, and turned to go. But at that instant the Commodore emitted a low whistle, and two men sprang out of the bushes. At the same moment the trio precipitated themselves also on Bob. It was a large load. He landed one or two on somebody, and got one or two in return himself. Dicky rather forgot himself in the excitement of the moment, and was unnecessarily forceful, considering the odds. But Bob was big and husky, and for a little while he kept them all busy. His football training came in handy. Numbers, however, finally prevailed, and though he heaved and struggled, he had to go down. Then they sat on him, distributing themselves variously over his anatomy. Thought I was giving you that charming little chat just for the pleasure of your company, did you?" panted the Commodore, from somewhere about the upper part of Bob. Why, I was just leading you here. "'And he came like a lamb,' said Clarence, holding an arm. "'Or a big boob,' from Dickie, who had charge of a leg. Bob gave a kick, and it caught Dickie. The little man went bowling down the road like a ten-pin. But after that there wasn't much kick left in Bob. They tied him tight and bore him, or, truth, trust him like a fowl, to the car. Some of them got in to keep him company. There wasn't anything the matter with the car. It could speed up to about sixty or seventy at a pinch. It went like sixty now. "'If he tries to raise a hullabaloo, toot your horn,' said the Commodore, when he got his breath, to the driver. "'At the same time I'll wave my hat and act like a cut-up. Then they'll only take us for a party of fuzzled joy-riders.' i don't think he'll make much noise now shouted dicky significantly from behind we'll jolly well see to that how long will it take you to make the bug-house the commodore asked the man at the wheel we should reach the private sanatorium in less than an hour answered that individual end of chapter twelve